0: In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Brother all the kiddos up through the ninth grade please come forward. The verger hit you with his verge. That's not right, is it? How's everybody? Good? Wonderful. I was going to talk about the gospel, um, but Father Larry, Father Lorenzo does a really fine job with that. And so, just a while ago, when I was looking at the Old Testament lesson uh, from Hosea... Uh, the prophet Hosea. Let me, let me tell you this about first. Uh, about, I don't know, 3,000 years ago, God called his people through Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and their families. And he started slowly building up his people. And then Moses, and, and, then, and then the people go to Egypt and they get stuck in Egypt for a long time in slavery. And Moses comes along. But listen to what Hosea says. I mean, what God says through the prophet Hosea. He says, when Israel, this is, this, these are the people who were slaves in Egypt. When Israel was a child, when he was small, when he was young, and, 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 in other words, I was still building my people to become a huge nation and eventually the church, us. So he says, when Israel was a child, and I want you to think about this. Put your name there. When Stan was a child, when Amelia was a child, Carolyn, put your name there. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son, my daughter. This is God talking. When, when Israel, when the church, when you and I was a child, I loved him And I called him out of slavery. And the more I called to him, the more they went away from me. They turned their back on me, God says. The more I love them, today even, us, all of us, the more, God says, the more I love you, you turn away from me. And he says, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took him up in my arms, held him, loved him, you, me, all of us. God holds us and loves us. And he says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love, and I was like, I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks, God says. So God is telling us not only the people of Israel, not only his church, because it's all about the group, it's all about the people of God, but it's, all about, it's also about us individually. God holds us and loves us and wants to bring us to himself and we squirm and we jump out of his arms and we go the other way. That does not please God. God wants us to be in his arms. He wants to hold us. He wants to love us. He wants us to take our cheek and chin and, and put our faces toward him so he can smile us into smiling back at him. But so often we don't do that. We turn away from God. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Allow God, in your prayers and in your minds and in your hearts this week, I want you to think about just what Hosea is saying. Imagine God holding you to himself. Imagine God picking you up and 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 hugging you by his cheek. And, and listen to his voice about how much he loves you. And don't turn away from God. That's one thing we have to practice in this world because the world teaches us to go the other way all the time. But God is always calling us back to himself. So we have to practice that. We have to practice being loved by God. We have to practice allowing ourselves to be held by God. So all through this week, I want you to practice letting God love you. And I want you to practice loving God back, okay? Will you do that? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for coming forward. If you want to get a packet over here, if you want to get a packet so you can color from Mr. Music right over here, you can do that.
1: Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessed Lord, who caused all scripture to be written for our learning, grant to us to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, amen. The Gospel passage today is taken from St. Luke, uh, in which a man asked Jesus to tell his brother to divide his inheritance with him. Most likely it was a younger son who asked our Lord, because according to Jewish law uh, that is found in Deuteronomy, the eldest son was to inherit double the portion. The Lord responds to the request with a parable about a rich man who in the abundance of his wealth contemplates new ways of storing up his earthly treasure only to discover that his life would be taken away from him that very night. Jesus does not arbitrate the division of the inheritance but instead uses this as an opportunity to teach through a parable about covetousness, greed and avarice. The parable illustrates the problems often caused by an attachment to material things and especially money. How many families have we seen destroyed by problems over money? Brother against brother, father against son. Covetousness towards money will destroy not only those around them but the individuals themselves. However, demonizing money and wealth is futile. They are not the cause of the problem as they are inanimate material things. In fact wealth can contribute greatly to many good works for the development of the human race. It is how wealth is used by us human beings that is either for good or for evil. For example The discovery of nuclear reactions resulted in the development of atomic weapons of cataclysmic proportions. At the same time, nuclear energy is used today to cure cancer and supply clean energy. The real problem is a distorted use of money and attachment to it that constitutes greed. The Lord in Luke 12.15 warns us, he says, take heed and beware of all covetousness. Covetousness and the constant ambition to have more and more money leads to idolatry and ends in destroying our relationship with others on earth and with God eternally. Avarice causes human beings to become spiritually ill by leading them into a vicious cycle in which their thoughts are consumed by wealth. However, avarice is a very timely topic today. It has become progressively common today, and even especially in a wealthy nation like ours, to hear people, especially young people, talking about greed as the fundamental cause of our world's woes. The reason the world is suffering materially and spiritually is because some institutions and individuals are too greedy. The inequality of wealth distribution is worrisome. Inequality is is a very vicious cycle. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. It's not just a cliché. Workers in the fast food and other low-salary occupations work long hours on their feet in a physically demanding environment and challenging situations daily, making barely enough to survive with little or no benefits while some individuals make millions in bonuses without any reason to assume that there is a connection between the bonus and the work they have done. Greed seems to have no limits to shame. Well, on a global level, the disparity between Western technologically developed countries and third world countries when it comes to material wealth is even greater. Survival itself is a daily struggle for these poor countries due to the lack of food, medicine, and the brutality of war and despotic rule. While most of the world is poor materially, it seems that spirituality, spiritually poor people, appear to be closer to God and more dependent on him than us Westerners. What do I mean by that? Well, in my travels to Cuba, In other poor countries, I've seen the spiritual richness of people that have little. Loving families and communities, sharing what they have, and depending on God for tomorrow. Faith appears to be stronger and their simple lives more content. One Sunday while in Havana, we went to a book sale in the historic Moro Castle at the entrance of the harbor. The event was attended by thousands of families, couples, young people, truly enjoying the day, smiling and laughing while walking hand in hand with their children, enjoying just being there, overlooking the sea, the beautiful trees, and occasionally having an icy in the shade. This was not a typical book sale event I have experienced in the US. The ones I have experienced in the big cities usually are attended by mostly adults and professionals with entrance fees, all sorts of marketing and promotional memorabilia, and the focus on selling very expensive books you don't need. The event I experienced in Cuba cost nothing. I experienced the beauty of God's creation, loving fellowships, and inexpensive used books. Let us now go back to the topic of our gospel, covetousness. The problem with greed is that, like alcoholism, the person is not able to recognize the disease once the person is immersed in it. The desire for money may be an indication of greed, but greed is a much more subtler vice than simply the desire to be rich. The New Testament considers greed to be more of a threat to becoming a disciple of Christ than lust, which is a big topic nowadays. We fail to focus on greed because we are not sure we know how to identify what greed looks like. Professor Stanley Hauernas from Duke University, I found has an interesting description of covetousness. Covetousness is the presumption that no matter how much we may have, we need more. We need more because we cannot be sure that what we have is secure. So the more we have, the more we must have in order to secure what we have. It is only with the help of others that we are able to detect the inner spirit that places wealth above God. Well, the New Testament leaves little doubt about the corruptive power of covetousness. There are so many references about the grievous nature of avarice told by Jesus as well as his disciples. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says quite clearly, you cannot serve God and wealth. Paul confesses in 1 Timothy that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul in Colossians links covetousness to idolatry. James is very blunt. You want something and you do not have it. So you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it. To you engage in disputes and conflicts. Well, Scripture is clear. If you are a Christian who is wealthy or desire to have wealth, you have a real challenge facing you in resisting its corrupting influence. Well, in the Gospel of Mark 10, we find the story of the rich man coming up to Jesus and asking Jesus what he must do to enter the kingdom of God. Well, the man is following all of the commandments set forth by God and is, in Jesus' opinion, a good man. So we are all surprised by the answer Jesus gives to rich man. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving. For he had many possessions well we're not told what happens to this rich man but i expect jesus's love is such that he still became a disciple of his even though he could not go with him at that moment and ultimately will enter the kingdom of god rare is the case that good christian disciples today are called and given the grace to embrace poverty like jesus required of the apostles or St. Francis, or St. Clair, and many others. As a tertiary Franciscan friar, I am constantly dealing with my vow of simplicity, never mind poverty, which is difficult to comply with as one who is married and has certain responsibility to others and to myself. In the book Freedom of Simplicity by Richard Foster, he talks about having to make certain accommodations or adaptations in order to be in the society in which we live. However, we need to be conscious when the accommodation turns into conformity to society or compromise. We are so good in being able to rationalize something when we want it. We seek to be in the world without being in the world, regardless of the materialistic propaganda and peer pressure we are constantly bombarded with through various media in this consumerist society we live in. Greed is rightly called a deadly sin because it kills the possibility of a proper human relation to the creator. Greed presumes and perpetuates a world of scarcity and want, a world where it's never enough. The church is not immune from this sin St. Francis and St. Clair were sent to his church by God at a time that avarice of the church for wealth and power was threatening its existence. In a sermon on Luke 16, Martin Luther observed that the rich and arrogant people of his day no longer heed the warning contained in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. They do not because the rich think of themselves as pious and without greed. They are able to do so because vice has been turned into a virtue. Greed has come to be viewed as being talented, smart, and careful stewards. Therefore neither prince nor peasant, nobleman nor average citizen is any longer considered greedy, but only upstanding. The common consensus being that the man who prudently provides for himself is a resourceful person who knows how to take care of himself. Well, i like to propose an alternative. There is an alternative to a world based on greed. The alternative to the world of greed is a people capable of participating through worship in the love of the Father for the Son through the Spirit. The Eucharist is not only is the proclamation of abundance, but it is the celebration of abundance. In the Eucharist, we discover that we can never run out of Jesus' love for us, regardless how many times we consume him. In the Eucharist, we discover that the more the body and blood of Christ is shared, the more there is to be shared. The Eucharist, therefore, is the way the church learns to understand why generosity rather than greed must and can shape our economic relations. The good news is that we have been given all we need in order not to be possessed by greed. The good news is that we worship a God who through our worship of him makes it possible for us to recognize that although we may be possessed by greed, through confession and repentance, we can be forgiven. Forgiveness, moreover, is the gift of grace that turns our lives of entitlement into lives of humility and gratitude. To learn to be forgiven, to be able to accept the gift of forgiveness without regret, is the condition that makes possible the recognition that all we have, we have through sharing and from God. Well, I will conclude with these words from St. Francis. Where there's charity and wisdom, there's neither fear nor ignorance. Where there's patience and humility, there is neither anger nor vexation. Where there's poverty and joy, there is neither greed nor avarice. Where there's peace and meditation, there's neither anxiety nor doubt. Amen.